Number one is um, I, I, I want us to... I want us to feel the presence of God. I want to feel the presence of God while we're gathered here. I mean, because every, you all walked into the room with just a week's worth of, of baggage. You know what I mean? Like, you know, maybe stuff at work wasn't good, or maybe you had some rough interaction with a family member, or maybe you're just like stewing over an email that you got, and you're, you're, you're mentally composing that response and what you're going to say, and you just got all kinds of stuff and, and, and that's fine. That's life. That's just the way life is. But, but I think God wants us to kind of like recenter, like to come back and to, and to take a deep breath and to remember what life is about and what we're, we're here to do and what we're here to accomplish. And, and that is to, to have our hearts, our minds, our lives, our choices oriented around the person of Jesus Christ. In order to do that, we're going to do something that is not our common practice, but we have done a couple times recently. We are going to stop and we are just going to create silence in the room for about 30 seconds. I'm not going to count. I'm not going to time it. And I'm going to invite you to pray that God would still those voices and those distractions in your mind and in the minds of others in the room. And that God would speak to you. That, that what maybe a verse I read or, or, or a, a truth we talk about would just, like, would just recenter you this morning. So that's what we're going to do for about 30 seconds and then we'll start. Let's, let's pause. I uh, was praying this morning, um, just pray, pray, we pray, I prayed for you guys today, I don't know, I don't know if you care, but I did, um, and it's, it was kind of interesting because one of the things I, I prayed is I was like, God, you know, just kind of help me know what to expect, you know, what, what to expect, because you walk to church and you don't know what's going on in people's lives, you don't know what's going on in their minds, their thoughts, and one of the things, this is so weird, uh, I don't know, I don't know what this means, you kind of figure it out, but one of the things is, is I just, I sense from God that we would see brand new faces that we hadn't seen in over a year this morning, and there's brand new faces in the room that you haven't seen in over a year, how exciting is that? There's brand new faces maybe some of you have never seen, and that's wonderful, that's God, like, like giving us that hope and that glimpse of, of like a return to reality, and we just continue to pray for that. The Woodbury High Track team practices uh, outside my house. They use our street because it's got the tiniest little incline and they force those kids to run up it. Now, the reason they use our house is because the track coach used to live across the street. He's since moved, but he would bring them all over uh, to our street and he would have them do sprints up the street. And they still do it. They still use it uh, even now. This has been years ago. And so the other day, uh, it's the afternoon. It's like, I don't know, 4 o'clock in the afternoon. I'm at home. I'm looking out my big front window, the big window pane, and I don't know, probably have a cup of coffee. And I'm just looking out at the squirrels or the birds or I, who knows what. Just totally lost in thought. And here comes this herd of teenage boys running across the window, just, you know, from this frame to this frame, just running across, sprinting. I mean, just built for this, built for this, you know, climbing uphill, just, just made to run track. And I'm like, wow, that's pretty, pretty impressive, pretty awesome. And I'm standing there thinking, like, I'm glad that's not me. And then about, I don't know, a minute, minute and a half later, there's this one kid and I think he's part of the track team, although he may have just gotten lost, but he did not look like he was built for track. He didn't look like he was built for speed. 
He was red in the face. He was trying his hardest. He was giving it every effort. But you just saw him kind of slowly move across the, the window frame. And he almost wanted to go out and like encourage him, although that would be worse. Like, you can do it, buddy. You got this. Although, you know, I'm sure that would make him feel terrible. But I, I'm watching this. And it's funny because of all those kids in that high school track team, the one I relate to the most is that kid. That's the kid I relate to the most. You know, whether it's track or whether it's like almost anything in life where I totally relate to that feeling of being like at the very back of the pack, trying my hardest, confused as to why it makes sense and everything works for everybody else, but it doesn't work for me and I'm trying and I'm working and I'm putting every ounce of effort I have into it, but I just, this must not be for me and I probably should just quit. I relate to that. I feel that. I sense that like in my bones. That kid that makes sense to me. Trying as hard as I can solidly in last place. This uh, series that we've been doing on the Spirit, uh, if you are here this morning, you are so lucky um, because you're going to hear me preach. No, that's not why. Just kidding. You're so lucky because this series we've been doing on the Spirit for me personally has been life-changing life-altering completely for me. Now, for you, whatever, I don't know. You'll have to tell me whether or not it's been even helpful, but it's been life-altering for me. And today we are talking about the number one thing that has been life-altering for me. So if you have like skipped every other one or you've been watching online or whatever, this is like the perfect day to be here because we're going to talk, like we just jumped right to the best, the best stuff. This has been the most uh, transformational piece of the Holy Spirit to me, and, uh, and it's been in one area, just one particular area. I mean, there's been lots of transformation. This has been the most transformation, and it is in the area of prayer. It's in the area of prayer. Now, I'm going to give you a disclaimer because I'm going to tell you a statement, and this statement is going to make some of you feel very guilty, all right? But I'll tell you why. I'm going to tell you a story about myself that will make you feel a lot better about yourself. And if you, uh, if you hear me clearly, this is going to be like that hopeful, transformative guilt. It's not going to be a burden. It's not going to weigh you down. You're going to feel good about it when we leave here, especially when I tell you my story. This is the statement. I do not believe that we can live our fullest God-given human potential without prayer. Now, there, oh, I got one amen. That means I've got like, whatever, 120 non-amens. Because a lot of you feel the exact same thing I feel when I hear stuff like that. Now, this is true. You cannot live your fullest God-given marriage potential as a husband or wife. You cannot live your fullest God-given career potential as an employee or a, or a manager or a boss. You cannot live your fullest God-given parental potential as a parent of children who need spiritual formation and development. You can't live your fullest potential in any of those areas without prayer because prayer is ground zero for all of that. Before we get into any like amazing parent moments, before we get into any amazing career moments, before we get into any amazing marriage moments, this is where it starts. And that's why I know a lot of us feel guilty because a lot of us are like, well, my prayer life is garbage. Well, don't worry. You're going to feel a lot better about your prayer life when I tell you about how mine has gone. So it all starts here. So even like any struggle that you've had with sin, any issue that you have, this is where it starts. And if we start getting this, all those other things are going to begin to make more sense. 
So all this, all this, all this neglected elements of prayer is going to be summed up in one verse. We're only going to look at one verse today. This is not the only verse of Scripture that references these ideas, but this is the only verse that I'm actually going to read today. And it's in the book of Romans, chapter 8, and it's in verse 26. So you can read it for yourself in your own translation. You can open up your Bibles, turn on your apps. I'm going to have it on the screen. Romans chapter 8, verse 26 says this. In the same way. Now, there's more to this, that in the same way is a connecting clause from the previous stuff. We're not even going to talk about the previous stuff. You can go ahead and read it on your own time. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. Strange verse. It's kind of an odd verse. Now, when I read that verse, I could easy, easily add to that because I read this verse and I see, oh, in the same way the Spirit helps us in our weakness, we do not know what we ought to pray for. Have you ever felt like that? Have you ever started to pray and you're like, God, you and I are going to spend some time together today. And then you start praying and like a sentence in, you're like, God, I got nothing. I don't know. I'm not sure what I, just like do whatever is good for everybody in Jesus name. Amen. Because I don't know what I ought to pray for. I don't know what should be on my prayer list. But honestly, Paul doesn't even capture the fullness of my struggle with prayer. Because not only do I not know what I ought to pray for, I'm not even entirely sure how to pray sometimes. Like, when should I pray? I've heard people say, oh, I get up early in the morning, crack at dawn, before the roosters are even up, and I pray for three hours. And I, I've tried that in my life. And, and for me, I just snooze, 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 got to rush out of bed and get to do, doing my day. It didn't, it didn't work. I've heard other people say, oh, I pray at night. I end my day with prayer and God. And I'm like, okay, God, I'll try that. Brush my teeth, get in my jammies, get in bed. I'm asleep. Like, oh, that didn't work. Oh, God, how about praying in the middle of the day? Oh, man, my to-do list feels overwhelming and stressful. That's not working. Well, then I'll try that thing. You know how there's that verse in the Bible, you insiders, you know that there's that verse in the Bible that says pray without ceasing? Like, oh my goodness, what does that even mean? Well, that must mean just kind of throughout the day I offer prayers here and there. And I would sort of do that, but it wasn't like real and genuine because I would forget constantly. I'd go like a week and I'd be like, oh my goodness, I haven't prayed. It was like, I didn't know when to pray. So I, not only did I know what not to, or didn't know what to pray for, I didn't know when to pray, I didn't know how long to pray, I didn't know what to expect when I pray. And this is a confession. You ready for this? Confession. Prayer has been a source of guilt and anxiety in my relationship with God. You preacher! The guy up on stage just said prayer, like one of the most important things we do, has been a source of guilt and anxiety in their relationship with God. Mm, you guys should probably find a better church with a better preacher because that's not good. The guy that's supposed to be like helping communicate eternal truths is struggling with prayer because with prayer, I've always felt like that kid at the back of the track team. I'm trying, I'm red in the face, I'm giving it my all, but there's all these people who are just sprinting in their prayers and they're so good at their prayers and they can say things so eloquently and it just seems to make sense. And I'm trying and nothing's working. What am I doing wrong? Um, I listened to a sermon recently. I know, shocking, sometimes preachers listen to sermons. I always try to listen to something that I'm not talking about 
uh, on Sunday so that I don't get all those thoughts confused. So I listen to other topics and I'm listening to this preacher that is a great communicator at a really successful church. And so I'm listening with that piece in mind. Like I want to be a great communicator at a really successful church. And so he's talking about, well, he, he gets up in front of his church and he says, church, I just, you know, I have to struggle. I have to confess the struggle with temptation that I'm having. Well, I'm tuned in now. Like what's this guy's temptation? I want to know because I want to compare myself to him and see how much better he is at track than me, right? I want to know what is his, what is his temptation, what is his solution, because he's a successful communicator at a good church. And so he gets up and he says, hey, my wife recently made these vegan, gluten-free, low-sugar pumpkin muffins. Yeah, I can see why that would be a struggle, man. I, you probably were upset at her about that, weren't you? That would have been frustrating. I totally get it, you know. Th- thanks for sharing with that. But that's not what he said. He said, uh, and so I'm listening, okay, what's, what's the struggle? And he says, and I ate one. Oh, okay, well, yeah, that's a struggle, man, I get that. You know, that must have been rough. You know, you must have had pretended to like it, even though your wife was right there watching for your response. No, no, that wasn't it. He said, and here was my temptation. Okay, he goes, I was tempted, it was so good. I'm like, well, you lost me there. He goes, it was so good, I was tempted to eat a second And I'm like, come on, that is not real human life. You were tempted to eat two gluten-free, vegan, low-sugar pumpkin muffins. That was hard. And this is what he said. He goes, through the power of self-discipline, I told Satan no. Like, oh my goodness. I remember thinking the morning I listened to that sermon, I had eaten potato chips for breakfast. So I was like, there's no like... I don't relate like, oh man, there he is. He's sprinting and I'm at the back of the pack. I can barely keep up. I can barely manage this. I don't like, is, what you just described, sir, is me on my very best day. And you're saying that's your struggle with temptation and sin. But that's how I felt with prayer. Like people would talk about prayer like, oh, I spent an hour with God. An hour? What did you talk about for an hour? Like, how did, you make, how did you make it through an hour? This is no uh, one kid just during Dr. Paul's prayer just now, or one of our elders. He was a little kid. I don't know how old he is. Four. He, Dr. Paul's praying, and he's, this kid has his eyes closed. I won't name any names. He has his eyes closed, but he's doing the peaky thing, you know, where he's trying to pretend to close his eyes. Because Dr. Paul's prayer went on for like four minutes. And a kid's life, that's an eternity. That's so long. And so when people, when we read about Jesus waking up before dawn or Jesus praying all night, it's just like, what? How are we supposed to do that? How is that? We're back there at the back of the pack and everybody else is just cruising along. We do, it, I don't get it. I, listen, this is serious confession. I mean, seriously, if you guys need to leave before I'm done because your preacher's so bad. I preached about prayer. I would preach about prayer and I would be like, I don't know that I really get this. I don't know that I... I hope nobody actually asks me what I do because I, I would read books. I got a bunch of books about prayer in my library and I'd read them and I'd be like, you know, I just don't relate. I don't understand how they can pray and get it and it makes sense and it works. I mean, I listen to lots of sermons about prayer and I would just feel really guilty. And then it got really bad. And this is the real confession. I just confessed that prayer was a struggle for me, but I'm about to really confess, okay? I'm, I'm serious. I'm going to be vulnerable here. Um, a few years ago, I thought, okay, I got to get this figured out. This is crazy. I cannot be a preacher at a church, a minister at a church, a leader at a church who cannot like figure out their prayer life. This is crazy. So I was like, I'm going to wake up early. 
set my alarm for 6 o'clock. I know some of you are like, 6 o'clock? I've been up for four hours milking cows by then. But I'm going to wake up early. I'm going to set my alarm. I'm going to get up, and I'm going to whip this prayer thing into shape. I'm going to get it. And so I got myself a notebook. This is what I did. It doesn't notebook, you know, you can pray without a notebook, right? But I got myself a notebook, and I would uh, get a pen. I'd wake up, you know, bleary-eyed, make some coffee, and I would open up this notebook, and I'd write down the date. And then I would think, okay, well, so what, what am I supposed to pray about? Well, you're supposed to cast all your anxieties on God, okay? Well, then I'll just list out all the things I'm, that are stressing me out, okay? So I'd make a list. Number one, this stress, this stress, this stress, this stress, this stress, this stress. And then I started to feel this weird, I don't know, sense. Like my chest would, would start to feel tight and my heart would start to race. It's writing down all these stresses. I'm like, God, you're supposed to do something with these stresses. And then, and then I noticed about a week into this, I was doing this for about a week, I noticed like I would go to open that notebook and that my chest would get really tight. And I thought, this is, this is weird. I, something must be wrong with me medically. I went to the doctor. Because I thought something must be wrong. I'm, I must, my diet, I, don't, I actually went to a doctor. They did a heart monitor and they say, you seem fine, but it seems like you got a lot of anxiety. Like, no, not me. You don't know me. I'm like, Patrick, I'm just like, you know, just living the dream, man. Anxiety, forget that. You know, I don't understand what you're talking about. Wake up the next morning, open up my notebook, chest tightening, crushing, heart racing. What? And then it dawned on me. And then, this is the true story. The next morning, I'm like, well, I'm not going to pray this morning. No chest tightening, no heart racing, no anxiety. And I'm like, this cannot be right. God, I, prayer is making me anxious. That's the opposite of what prayer is supposed to do, right? Prayer is making me anxious. I, you ready for this? I feel better when I don't pray. Now, there's more to the story. There's a part two. Don't worry. Some of you are like, well, honey, we got to find a new church now. Wait, there's more. It gets better. So I went and talked to uh, an expert trying to get spiritual advice. Now, some of you are like, Patrick, prayer is not supposed to give you anxiety. Yes, I know. Like, I, I get that. And you're thinking, well, you are probably doing something wrong. Yes, I know. I'm the kid at the back of the track team. I don't know what I'm doing wrong, but I can't keep up with everybody else. So I went and talked to an expert, and I, and, I, and, they, and I said, hey, prayer's making me really nervous and anxious. And they said, really? That's weird. Okay, tell me about your prayer life. Prayer life? Well, I wake up in the morning, and I write down all the things that stress me out. <clears throat> and they said, well, what else do you do? I said, that's it. Write down all the things that stress me out, and then go about my day. And they said, so, and this is the sign of a good listener, right? Uh, so let me tell you, tell me if I'm hearing you correctly. You wake up in the morning, and you create a list of all the things that are stressing you out, and then you just go about your day? Yeah, that's what I do. Uh, well, <laughs> I don't think that's prayer. And I'm like, what are you talking about? I grew up at church. You, you, I don't know what prayer is. I grew up at church. I went every Wednesday night to what we called prayer meeting, and we all just sat around in the room, and everybody shouted out the things that were bad in their lives or somebody else's life and their aunt and their cousin and their nephew or whatever, and that was prayer time. That was prayer meeting. You list all the things that are bad, and then God's supposed to deal with them. That's prayer, right? And they were like, well, uh, I guess that's part of it, but do you realize you're really just creating a, like a to-do list for your anxiety? 
Like, you're just giving it fuel. Like, they said, and, and this was the thing that just blew me away because they asked it in this casual way that helped me understood. I did not know what prayer was at all. They said, well, what do you hear from God? And I said, well, what do you mean? I just give God and that's it. No, no, no. What do you hear from God? What does God tell you about those stressful things in your life and those anxieties? I don't know. I guess I don't really listen to that part of it. I don't know. I just gave God the stuff and he's supposed to do something with it, right? Go about my day. And they're like, oh, well, I, I, I think, this person said, I think prayer is a give and a take. That you do bring God your stresses and anxieties, but you're supposed to receive from th- something from him as well. You're not receiving, are you? <laughs> like, well, I'm receiving anxiety. Is that a good thing? No, no, no. That's not what we're talking about here. Now, this is interesting because they said, I don't actually think you're praying. I mean, you're partially praying, but I don't think you're actually praying. And I'm going to talk about what that looks like in a second and how I was helped through that. But I share that. It's kind of vulnerable. But I share that to say that I think that there are a lot of us in the room that feel like we're the last kid on the track team and we're barely making it and we can't breathe and we don't understand why everybody else is doing just fine. But here's the problem. A lot of those people that say they're doing just fine aren't really because nobody wants to admit how hard some of these things in Christianity truly are. Nobody wants to really be honest. We want to be honest when things are awesome. Oh yeah, I prayed for two hours or you know, I shared Jesus with all my neighbors or I read through the Bible in 24 hours or whatever. But nobody wants to be really honest and open when it comes to these real difficulties. We just feel like we're that kid in last place on the track team and we're the ones who don't get it and we're the ones who are left out. But there's a lot of us in the room who feel like that, who experience that. Um, you may not know the name Martin Lloyd-Jones, but he is a giant in the preaching world, like just this world-class communicator in his day. And he wrote this book, and he said in this book, and it just kind of blew me away, and I appreciated his honesty. He said in this book, we all know what it is to feel deadness in prayer. Oof. This guy who gets it understands what it's like to feel deadness in prayer. We all know what it's like to feel difficulty in prayer, to be tongue-tied with nothing to say. Yes, that's how I feel. He says, as it were, having to force ourselves to try. We all know what that feels like. And I don't know, I sure know what that feels like. I don't know about you, but I had not been honest with that struggle prior to reading about some of this and prior to this life change in terms of my prayer. And here's the truth. If it is not addressed that sensation will cause us to give up any meaningful prayer habits in our lives. We will give it up. You will not tell people that. You will not advertise that. You may not even realize that. But that sensation, if less left unaddressed, will cause you to give up on prayer because you're going to think, what's the point? Why should I? And remember what I said at the beginning, we cannot live to our God-given human potential without prayer because it is like ground zero for all this stuff. So, so what's, what's the problem? What's the problem we're trying to deal with? Well, here it is. Here it is. Prayer without the power and presence, it's the Spirit of God. Prayer without the power and presence of God will always feel that way. It will always eventually lead to that. Let's, let's talk about this a little bit more. Martin Lloyd-Jones actually goes on to say, he goes, well, to the extent that that sensation is true of us, we are not praying in the Spirit. And so we need to know a little bit more of what that means. 
So look at the next section of Romans 8, 26. In the same way the Spirit helps us in our weakness, we do not know what we ought to pray for, right, or how to pray or how long to pray or when to pray or what to say or how to close or any of those things. But the Spirit himself, the Spirit himself, this is good. The power, we remember, we define the Spirit as the power and the presence of God that lives and acts in us. The Spirit himself. And then he gives us this really interesting word, intercedes. It's not a word we use very often, but intercedes. Those of you that have done any, um, I don't know, uh, international traveling beyond just like the normal tourist areas. So like if you were on a cruise ship and then you hopped off the cruise ship and got like a t-shirt, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about like when you went, when you went away from the tourist areas and you tried to order a restaurant or tried to find a bathroom, or tried to, you know, tell a taxi driver where you wanted to go. If you've ever done anything like that, you've experienced intercession. And the reason is, is because you did not possess the ability to adequately communicate what you wanted or what you needed to the person you were trying to receive services from. And that person that you were trying to get them to do something, they did not possess the ability to adequately express back to you what they had or what they needed or try to understand what you wanted. So there's these two parties who are struggling to communicate and then you've had this experience because you've had someone who was nearby who came up and said, excuse me, I speak a little bit of English, can I help you? And they interceded for you and communicated between these two parties. Yes, I'd like to order the chicken or yes, can he take me to the La Biblioteca or whatever. Like you tried to, you had someone intercede for you. I'm going to tell you this story and it's not really uh, relevant so much to, to the sermon. It is relevant to the sermon because it's an example of intercession. But I tell you because it's like one of the highlights of my life. <laughs> when I tell you this story, you're going to be like, oh, okay, Patrick, you need to get out more. So most of you know that I uh, grew up as a teenager, uh, as a uh, 11 to 17 in Taiwan. Um, so my parents were missionaries there. They had moved us to this uh, small town, small for Taiwan, still like 60,000 people. And I was at a CD store in this town. I'm the only American teenager around for miles. I'm really the, probably in this case, I'm the only American around for miles because my parents were, you know, at home and, you know, no. So I'm the only like American, you know, person around. And uh, uh, CDs, by the way, are like, uh, they're, they're discs and they have music on them. Uh, I know you used to have to put them in your car and they would play music. I know you don't get it because like your Spotify and music just downloads into your brain now. But back in the day, you had to go to the store, you had to buy a CD. I remember the very first CD I bought, U2, uh, which I think is a, I'm proud of that purchase. And uh, anyway, so I'm at the store, I'm flipping through the CDs and what do I want to listen to? And it's really tough because you're making a commitment when you buy a CD. You're not just listening to the one song. You're hoping that the other 12 songs on the album are good too. So you just got it like, it's an, it's an investment. So I'm flipping through the CDs. Um, there is a Taiwanese shop owner who speaks Mandarin, which is the language of business in Taiwan. He's Chinese Mandarin. And then these three guys from somewhere else came in. They were from like Malaysia or somewhere else who did not speak Mandarin. And they were looking for a specific CD. So I'm there, you know, minding my own business, shuffling through the CDs. And I'm observing that these guys are trying to communicate to the shop owner the CD they're looking for. Now, they don't speak Chinese, they don't speak Mandarin, Chinese shop owner does not speak 
Malaysian or whatever it is exactly that they were speaking, they were trying in broken English to explain the CD they were looking for because they were looking for this American band. So me, being the helpful guy I am, I step in and I said, let me intercede for you. No, I didn't say that, but that's what I was offering to them. Can I help you? Because having lived in Taiwan, I spoke a moderate amount of Mandarin and I also spoke broken English like they did so we could communicate on that level. And so it was this amazing game of charades and these guys, these guys kept doing this gesture. They kept doing this. What does that mean? Like what? They didn't know the word for it. They kept doing this. And I'm like, we were trying, we were like, is it this and guessing and noises and charades and grunts? And finally, through the most like, it's such a victory because finally we discovered they, I mean, and I can't even, even to this day, because I remember this album and the title of this album so clearly because it was such like an important moment in my life. We discovered that these Malaysian guys were looking for a CD by the band Squeeze, which I had never heard of this band before. I still really haven't heard of them, but I know that this exists. And they were looking for an album by the title of Argy Bargy. How do you communicate in three different languages to communicate that idea? It's impossible. These two, they're so distant, but maybe possibly, potentially, through an intercessor, you can bring these two things together. I, I still don't know who Squeeze is, and I've never listened to this album, but I remember it vividly because of that moment, because of being able to step in and to communicate between these two different parties. And here's the deal. This is important. Intercession is give and it is take. And the Bible, Scripture says, Paul says in Romans chapter 8, verse 26, that the Spirit himself intercedes for us in prayer, that the Spirit gives to God our prayers and in a way that maybe God can understand or communicates to God or, and maybe the Spirit's like, God, this is really what Patrick's trying to say over here. And it is a take. And here's the piece of prayer that I did not understand. I was giving to God, but I was not taking from God. I was offering to God all my anxieties, all my problems, and what I was doing is just reminding my brain of all the bad stuff in my life, but I wasn't taking from Him, where I wasn't stopping and listening to the Spirit. God, what do you want me to think about these things? How do you want me to respond to these things? Let me give you a quick example. Well, let, me, let me say this. Actually, I'll give you an example here in a second. Prayer, for me, was more explanation. Here, God, is all the problems I have, and here's what I want you to do about it. Thank you and good day. Prayer is explanation, but it is more. And this is true, and this is fundamental, and this will change your prayer life. Prayer is more exploration. God, what do you want me to think? What do you want me to do? How do you want me to understand that? How do you want me to respond to that? What can I take? And the Spirit intercedes and shows us what God is doing. Let me, let me give you this example. Because what I was doing is, God, this situation is really bothering me. Um, please take care of it. And I would get anxiety, like literal anxiety. I, I went to a therapist about it because I was like, I don't know what's going on. And they're like, well, your prayer life is messed up. <laughs> they didn't say that. They said it in a much more therapy kind of way. But that's essentially what they're saying. But that's what my prayer life was and what my prayer life has become and is still taking shape is, God, this situation is stressing me out. What do you want me to think about it? What do you want me to do about it? How do you want me to respond to it? Let me give you an example. 
Um, in the past 12 months or so, and I, this is probably going to be hard to believe, but in the past 12 months or so, there have been people who have really annoyed me. And they have disagreed with me. And so I have gone to God and I have said, God, please show them how they are wrong and I am right. God, would you do that? In Jesus' name, amen. You know? And what I have begun to do is, God, I'll say the same things. God, will you please show them how they're just dummies and what I'm saying is the right way to think about this? And would you just do that? And, but God, I want to hear what you have to say. And I'll pause and I'll listen, which was not part of my prayer life before. And I'll, he, let me put in quotes, hear, because it's not like I hear an audible voice. I just sit there and I'm listening, trying to sense, God, what do you want me to know? What do you want me to think? What do you want me to do? And I'll hear, have you tried loving them? No, 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 God, you don't understand. I want you to show them how wrong they are. And I will hear, no, I think you should love them. Well, well let me ask you, which tactic has been more effective in restoring difficult or broken relationships over the last 12 months? Me wanting to beat them over the head with the truth or me trying to figure out how to love them? If you thought beat you over the head of the truth, which is where a lot of us are, you're wrong. There, I have had relationships that were strained that have been restored, not because God proved them wrong, but because God showed me I need to love. And that only happened because I was taking it in. Can I, can I tell you something? Um, I don't know how anxiety works, really, psychologically. I don't, I don't get it. But once I started trying to take, receive from God, I am, I don't, I'm not saying this because, I'm saying this because God did it. I have zero anxiety, zero nervousness, zero stress when I pray. It, it, God, it's gone. It's gone. Because I believed God said, yeah, let's not just remind yourself of all the bad things. Let me help you navigate them as well. And that's huge. That's been huge for me. I was at the verge of giving up on prayer because it was bothering so much. And that is gone. And my prayer routine, it's, it's, I love it. I love it. It's, it's crazy. If you told me 10, I literally, people would come up to me like, I don't know, 10 years ago and say, hey, Patrick, uh, you know, we should get together and pray. And I'd be like, Oof. <laughs> no, thank you. That sounds awful. You know, or, hey, let's, uh, what if we got together and did like an, an all-day prayer thing? Like, oh, my goodness. Seriously, I got other things to do. That sounds terrible. But now my, I, I, and I don't want to make anybody feel like they're the last kid in the track club, but I want you to understand that it has been transformed, that this is something I look forward to, that I get excited about. It's so totally different because I believe I'm allowing the power and presence of God to respond to me. So let's go, uh, keep going in this verse. Um, Got to hurry. Romans 8, 26. In the same way the Spirit helps us in our weakness, we do not know what we ought to pray for. That's true. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans? Huh? I've read this before, and you know what I do when I read this? Just keep on moving because I don't understand what that is all about. Wordless groans. Uh, um, my, my family uh, consistently, all, all the members of my family consistently make fun of me for this one thing, many things, but this one thing in particular. It happened yesterday. 
When I have my phone or when I'm at my laptop in the living room or the kitchen and I'm composing an email, I'm a full body texter. I don't know if any of you are like that. I know it's just words that I'm texting on a screen, but my, my body language goes into it. So I'll be sitting there texting and it'll be like, you know, and so they can totally tell if it's like a good email or a bad email because I'm, I'm like all into it because in my mind, I'm trying to put meaning and tone and body language into the email. Some of you know my father-in-law and he's an all caps texter and he's trying to do the same thing. He's trying to put meaning and tone and body language into his texts as well. And he's basically shouting at me every time I get a text from him. That's what that ends up being. But it's, it's really interesting because it's like this, it's not, it's wordless expressions that are conveying meaning. Now this is, I think this is interesting because I actually think wordless expressions convey the deepest, most honest meaning. If you uh, are talking with your spouse, your husband or your wife, if you're having a conversation and uh, you're annoying them and they deep sigh, <sighs> What does that convey? That conveys truth <laughs> and meaning. That's a wordless expression that conveys like the deepest meaning, like, like squeals of joy. Like some of you, every time you get up or sit down, there's grunts. Yeah, it's true. And you know why? It's because your body hurts and you're conveying meaning. Like I'm in pain and it's effort for me to get up after I've been sitting down for a while. My joints don't work. It's a wordless expression, but it creates or it conveys the deepest meaning. They're involuntary. There's no mental process taking place. It's just noise conveying meaning. This is weird. Okay. Now, this is real quick. I just want to point this out because those of you that care about this stuff, that phrase, wordless groans here, that phrase, it is not clear in the English or the Greek whether it is referencing the spirit or whether it's referencing us. It's just not clear. We're not sure is the spirit the wordless groans here or is it us? But I tell you, I don't think it matters because I think whatever's going on, prayer is something that needs to be uh, needs to be happening in the deepest, most honest part of who we are. I will, and this is true, more confession, I have lied to God for decades in my prayer. Lied. Why? Well, what do you mean lied? Well, because often I was trying to pray what I thought God wanted to hear rather than what I really wanted to say or what I really was thinking Often, uh, uh, people taught me models of prayer. You follow this acronym, and you start with this, and you do this. And, then, and people taught me all these models, but, so I'd have all the elements, but I didn't experience what they were saying. I didn't really offer God honesty. I was trying to follow some formula or some method. And this has been the most transformative part of my prayer life, is this complete, open honesty to God. My fears, my hopes, my sins, my doubts, my questions, my frustrations. And it's funny, because you would think being honest with God would be easy, Right? because he knows everything, but it's not. It's really not easy to be honest with God because it actually involves being honest with ourselves and we're not very good at that. But when you're honest with God, it's like you're opening up a door to that really messy room or that really messy closet and it's just easier to keep that door shut. God, let's not deal with that right now. Let's just move on. And God's like, no, that's, I'm really concerned about that right there. Nah. Because it means I've got to do something with the junk in my life and I'm just not really ready. Let's just keep that shut. And so it's easier not to be honest. God, I don't know what to pray for. God, I, w w what do I say? Can, can, I be, can I be a blunt? Some of you are angry. You're angry. You're angry people. You're angry. You're angry at life. You're angry at the world. 
You're angry at other Christians. You're angry. <laughs> angry. And we can see it. We know it. Believe me, we can tell. But you have never offered that anger to God. God doesn't want my anger. I'm not supposed to. Patrick, you can't be angry at God. Well, then you're not reading the Bible. Because the people in Scripture were often, even good people, were often angry at God. Just, I, this, I never do this, but for this, this sermon, for the purpose of this sermon, I was like, you know what? The book of Job in the Old Testament, there's a lot of, Job is often angry with God. And I just randomly opened up the book of Job, and I just randomly pointed to a piece on the page, and this is what, this is what it says. This is Job. Just random. Job 16. Surely, God, you have worn me out. You've worn me out. You have devastated my entire household. He says, all was well with me, but you shattered me. You seized me by the neck and crushed me. Job, you can't talk to God like that. God needs to hear your platitudes. He doesn't want to hear what's really going on in the deep, dark parts of your heart. He wants to hear the nice things, and he wants to hear the good things. He wants you to hear you, hear you say, everything's fine, everything's good. That's what God wants. No, God cannot work with dishonesty. If, if you have anger, then you need to give that anger to God so he can give you something to receive. He can take care of that. Some of you, if you really want to get serious about prayer, you should pray your fears. Because some of you have fears that you've never brought to God. And they just linger and linger and linger. And you've never gotten God's perspective on those fears. Some of you have shame that you've never brought to God to hear what he has to say about those things. You've never brought it. You've never brought it. The truth literally, literally can set us free. Whether it's the truth about ourselves or the truth God gives us, but it sets us free. God can work with that. He cannot work with these platitudes where we've tried to polish everything and make ourselves look better than we are and try to give God the very best he wants, actually wants us so that he can transform us into our very best. But not for us to try to clean up a little bit so we look presentable to God. Give God what's real, the deepest wordless groanings. Some of you are saying, well, Patrick, you don't want to tap into that anger. You don't want to tap into that fear. You don't want to tap into that. I'm so angry with God for what he allowed or what he did or what's going on. I'm so frustrated. I'm so fearful. I'm so shamed, whatever. I don't even have words to express. Well, perfect. Then I think we're getting to what Paul's getting at in Romans chapter 8, verse 26. The wordless groans that are deep in us that are conveying the truth. So let me wrap up by saying this. Um, my, my prayer connection to God is completely different than it was eight months ago, ten months ago, a year ago, a decade ago. Um, sometimes I still feel like the kid who's in the very back, you know. Like some of you are really good at prayer. You should be up here telling about prayer. But I just wanted to be up here as a relatable figure if you, if you do struggle with, with prayer. And so one of the things as I was working through the development of the sermon, I was like, well, you know what, I'm going to share with everybody my prayer routine and what I do and how this works for me. And then I thought, uh, probably God, say, no, do not do that. Well, why, God? I mean, I've developed some really good habits and I think it would be helpful. No, because your prayer routine, your prayer time, your prayer life, your prayer stuff is for you. If I said, here's what Patrick does, then you would compare yourself to me just like that kid who's at the back of the pack. You know what? If that kid is running the best he can, that's really all that matters. It doesn't matter that they're not with the rest of the group. If your prayer life, seriously, I mean this with all my heart. <clears throat> if your prayer life is two hours, I do not care. 
If your prayer life is two minutes, I do not care. What matters is, if, is whether or not you're actually being honest with God and whether or not you're actually listening to God. That's what matters. That's what's important. I'm telling you, no joke, two minutes of that kind of prayer interaction with God will be more powerful than any prayer that you've said in your life. Any platitude, any formula, any rote prayer, that will be powerful because you're bringing God who you really are what he really wants to hear, and he can do something with that. And, and by the way, if you, bring, if you pray like that for two minutes, it's, it's going to be longer. You're, you're going you're gonna to long for that real interaction with God once you start having it. You're going to long for it. And God will transform you in exactly the ways God wants to, not in the ways that you're trying to tell him he should, not in the things you think he should, but in the ways that he's con- communicating to you. So we started off by saying we can't live our, our best God-given human potential without prayer. But let me, let me, let's make a positive statement as we wrap up here. This is true. We can, you can live your fullest God-given potential as a child, as a parent, as a coworker, as a spouse. You can, you can do that because of prayer. Because the power and the presence of God is interceding for you on your behalf with the Almighty Father. How amazing is that? How amazing. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to wrap up with communion. We're going to invite, um, afterwards we're going to have a, a moment of silence and then we're going to invite uh, Corrine and Paul to, to lead us in some songs. And um, we often spend this time in communion where, and, and, and by the way, feel free if you haven't gotten communion, it's in those gold thingies in the back. Go grab one. That's fine. Um, and we're going to have some silence in the room again. And I just, you know, what I want is I want you to be able to express some honesty to God and to be able to hear from God. So, so if communion has been a time where you've thought about your sins or you've thought about Jesus on the cross, those things are fine. Those things are great. If that's your routine, that's great. But will you be honest with God? Will you hear from God? Will you listen to God? Because here's what God, one thing God's going to tell you that I know because he's always telling all of us this all the time is he's going to say, and, and this is what the cross means, he's going to say, I love you. And it's going to start there. There's more, but it's going to start there. He's going to say, I love you, I love you, I love you. 